0: everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Tao Nguyen, an associate professor of medicine at UCLA. She recently joined us for a webinar on zebrafish electrocardiography that discusses the exciting discoveries that her research team has made in this field. Let's jump in. So, our first question is, why does the fish have a different heart axis from humans?
1: Oh, that is such a good and sophisticated question. The short answer is, we don't know. The long answer is, we can predict it. Uh, At least we can make some educated guess as to why. So, to make predicted guess, let's look at the human heart model first. So, we know that there are Reposition gradients, activation gradients in the human hearts, right? So what sets up these gradients in the human hearts? And people have found out that the gradient of, let's say, reposition was set up by different expression of ion channels in the base, in the ventricular base versus the apex. Yeah? So the gradient of reposition, of ventricular reposition, is set up at least in humans by two currents, and that is IKS. And ITO, the transient outward current, also called ITO and IKS, which is a slowly activating delayed rectifier potassium current. The problem is these two currents missing in the zebrafish heart. Yeah. The zebrafish does not express ITO at all. It doesn't even have a gene for it. And that's why if you look at the uh, zebrafish ventricular action potential, you do not see that notch. Yeah, there is no phase one. There are only four phases in the ventricular action potential of zebrafish heart, whereas in humans, there are five phases, zero to four. So the, fish, the, uh, the zebrafish action potential misses phase one, which is the notch. And that is due to the lack of expression of French outward current. The fish doesn't have a significant expression of IPS either, even though it does have the gene. So if we have to predict That is because of the differential expression of some ionic currents in the base, in the ventricular base, compared to the ventricular apex that sets up these gradients. Now, what is the molecular identity? Which current is that? We are currently working on it, but we do not have the specific answer yet. Yeah. But if you think about cardiac action potential, there are basically three types of currents that are important. The sodium currents, the potassium currents, and the calcium currents. So one of those, we are suspecting some potassium uh, currents are responsible for setting up the difference in that uh, different axis, at least in ventricular reposition. But great question. Thank you, Sarah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Uh, We've got another question here. This is a technical question for you. This person has said, Any tips on proper electrode positioning? How can we ensure that they're placed correctly?
1: Oh, very good. And I went over that briefly in my uh, notes. And how do we know that is the most optimal? Well, by trial and error, by practicing it. And the best time to fix things is live interpretation. Once you are set and ready to record, as soon as you record, you analyze it, you interpret it live. And you look at the ECG tracing and you see, is it good? Is it good? Uh, voltage signals? If it is not, if you think that it is too, too small amplitude, then you readjust the positioning right away. You see, because the trick is in ECG, in in vivo ECG recording, you can't really see the heart to know how to position it best, right? You have a rough idea of how it is. Another thing that make it challenging, not only because you can't see the heart through the tissue in the uh, adult fish, but... The heart of the fish, differently from the heart of human, it hangs in a sac, which has more epicardial fluid around it, surrounding it. So it can flop around a little bit. So the axis might be a little bit more difficult and, and less stable than the, the axis in the human heart, say. OK, so you just need to play around with it. If you have a single lead ECG, if you're doing single lead ECG, I would just play around with one lead. You know, moving one lead, uh, one electro, uh, one one electrode, not both electrodes at the same time. You keep one electrode fixed. Let's say you keep the negative electrode fixed, and you move the positive electrode, and so on, until you you can increase the voltage signals a little bit more. Yeah, but I'd say just practice makes perfect, and then you'll get the hang of it.
0: Okay. That's great. And we've got another question here. Have you ever tried to record ECG on zebrafish larvae?
1: (laughs) No, let's not push the limits. (laughs) But no, we work with uh, adult zebrafish only. There are people who do that though. There are scientists who actually record, uh, you know, electrical activity from larvae. It was published
0: Okay, and someone else has asked, why is the P wave so big and does the size of the P wave change with the depth of anesthesia?
1: Oh, wow, that's a really good question. In the uh, in comparing and contrasting the anatomical differences of the adult human heart and adult fish heart, I didn't point out that in relative uh, proportions, the age, at- uh, the, the zebrafish atrium is very large. It's almost as large, if not sometimes larger than the ventricle of the zebrafish ventricle. And you know that the voltage signals on EKG is relative to the mass, to the myocardial mass. So if the fish has a large atrium, it would reflect in having large P wave, but uh, the relative proportion between the P wave and QRS, you know, it's like that for that particular fish. So it's not all QRS is still the biggest, but you would see that a lot of times you'll see, as compared to to humans, say, the P wave is the smallest of the three ECG components. Yes, because relatively speaking, in Normal healthy adult human adults, the atria are much smaller as compared to the ventricles. Mm -hmm. That's why in abnormal cardiomyopathies in which, uh, let's say abnormal atrioma uh, atriomyopathies in humans, when the atria are really enlarged, what did you see? You see enlarge of the P waves on EKG, either the right atrium is enlargement or left atrial enlargement. So that is really great question. Zebrafish P wave is the second largest Component, The T-wave of zebrafish is unfortunately tiny and sometimes it is so small it's hard to actually diagnose or, or recognize on ECG. Not a problem with humans, right? T-wave is the second largest component of the three ECG components for human ECG. So that is a key anatomical difference. It can be to our benefit if we want to study, let's say, atrial arrhythmias in zebrafish.
0: Okay, fantastic. All right, we've got another kind of technical question here. This question is: when fish are anesthetized with tricaine and not ventilated, the heart rate is severely affected. Do you ventilate your fish, and how?
1: Oh, very good question. A short answer is: the webinar is focused on, as I said, um, disclaimer earlier on that short ECG session. You know, not more than twenty minutes with not you, with short ECG session, we think we can get by with not having to do anything much extra. But as I said, if you need to record for longer than fifteen or twenty minutes, we would really suggest looking up the literature to show a, a, and uh, to to know how to provide fish with ample oxygenation, and, uh, you know, hydration, and you also need to provide a little bit more of uh, tricane maintenance. Yeah, what we go over today is induction we didn't even go into um, maintenance we don't need maintenance for short session they're pretty quiet but yeah you point out a really good point i mean that's the kind of like the bullet you have to bite and you have to you know balancing you have to do the balancing between taking the toxicity which means the depression of cardiorespiratory functions versus Controlling for motion artifact, otherwise ECG is not interpretable.
0: Absolutely. Our next question here is, well, this person has said, excellent presentation to start. And then, have you tried drugs that increase QT interval and were you able to record TDP?
1: Awesome question. Yes, there are drugs that increase uh, QT, absolutely. And actually, we, we did present that, we did publish that. H2O2 that uh, we presented today is an agent that can actually uh, prolong QT. Now, digitalis, I didn't go over this, but we mentioned that the fish recapitulate three hallmark, three hallmark human ditch effect, right? The fourth hallmark ditch effect I didn't go over. In humans, the fourth hallmark ditch effect is QT shortening. We did not see QT shortening by digitalis. As a matter of fact, we see QT prolongation, not shortening. We're still working on it as to why. And again, just like with the, with the heart axis, the difference has to be in some of the potassium currents that are different between the fish and the human heart. Yeah. But thank you for attending the webinar today and for asking questions. Thank you very much. Appreciate that.
0: Mhm. We've got another question here. This is do you monitor heart rate and if so approximately what is the range that you like to keep your zebrafish heart rate in for proper ECG studies?
1: Heart rate. Okay. Yeah, the heart rate is, is right away the heart rate if the fish is in sinus, the heart rate is also the ventricular rate. It's also the atrial rate if it's in sinus. Uh, if the fish is not in sinus, then usually the heart rate is the the ventricular rate or the RR interval, and it shows you right away. And typically, even under anesthesia, the fish heart rate is about like, uh, uh, if I remembered correctly, about uh, in the range of hundred beats per minute. It, if it is really deep in anesthesia, it can be slower than that. Roughly for that age group of adult fish, like say twelve to eighteen months of age, but you could see okay. it right away. I mean, it shows you on the software analysis; you see it live.
0: All right, we've got another question here. This question is, I'm assuming the compounds are being added to the water, but how are you controlling for absorption post-dosage administration, and are you running TK slash PK pharmacokinetics to ensure consistency among subjects within their respective dose groups?
1: Good question. We do all those, uh, we did all those prelim studies in the beginning, but we didn't repeat it. And the reason is uh, because we use the same strain, like AB wild type, you know, and that is one. So we, we found that despite obviously there's always biological variations, right? It's the same for, for humans. The absorption, the different things can affect how each person or how each fish metabolize the drugs. And uh, you just go by, you know, the general population that you determine. So we found, as I disclosed, that a four-hour strain of uh, fish AB wild type and for that age group between 12 to 18 months of age, we found that 0.02 to 0.04% is uh, solution works best. Yeah, and that is dissol- dissolving in a tricane solution and let fish swim in it. How do we know that it is good enough? And that's how you have to observe to see when the fish reach level four of anesthesia. So once it reached level four anesthesia and stays in it for like about three seconds, get them out of the tricane solution quickly to the sponge ready for recording. Don't leave them there for long because they're going to die.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Someone else has asked, and I think you just mentioned it with a sponge, but maybe you can kind of go a little bit further into this. How do you keep the fish out of water um, during the procedure?
1: Oh, once you are ready, you need to move the fish from the tritane solution. Once the fish already reaches level four of anesthesia, you move it into a sponge. You can just take any sponge and create a, a, a deep slit in it. And then you put the fish inside the slit. You could um, go to our Jove uh, article also to see more of those pictures or, or any, you know, in the literature. Everybody was pretty much using the same. So the sponge, there's a slit, and then you place the fish with ventral surface up inside the slit. That's how you keep it also, you know, straight and ready for recording.
0: Okay, great. And just to reiterate this again, what uh, is the suitable dose that you use for tricane for anesthetizing these fish for the short-term procedure? Yeah,
1: it's 002 to 0.04% tricane solution. But what I would advise is this. You have a certain strain of zebrafish that you know you will be working with. You have an age range of zebrafish, you know, a certain range of weights of zebrafish that you'll be working with. Test for yourself unless you use the exact same strain that we are using, like A, B, wild type, 12 to 18 months. You you don't know, right? Even we don't know for sure. So we tested from 0.02 to 0.04%. Sometimes 0.02 is good enough and sometimes need to give a little bit more, 0.03%. So even with that you know, it's the distribution, right? It's the distribution of, of your fish. So if you haven't done already, then when you just start out, just try out on your population of fish to see what is their distribution, tryking absorption, to reach level four of anesthesia. And if you need even more concrete help, a good resource is always go to, you know, your institutional IACUC, get the vet to help you out with that. They have plenty of really excellent advice for to work with the specific strain that you need.
0: To be respectful of everyone's time, this is going to be the last one that we answer. So the question is, did you observe any arrhythmia, such as polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, related to QT prolongation?
1: Oh, great question. I love it. You know, we have an MI model the MI model, uh, myocardial infarction model uh, by cryoablation. I mean, this model has been, you know, established for zebrafish, and when we over uh, cryoablated a little bit, when students do a little bit too much of ablation, there is some fish that actually uh, suffers a uh, uh, sudden cardiac death on follow up at day one. How they do, uh, they went into, like the QT was definitely prolonged, that's for sure. Uh, But QT prolongation put them at risk for developing sudden cardiac arrest by developing VT. So we have seen like bidirectional VT from, let's say, Ditch. We have seen VT monomorphic from monomorphic VT from cryoablation leading to sudden cardiac death. But polymorphic VT, it might be a little bit rare for us to see. Yeah, with really very high dose of ditch toxin, we could see it, but it's rare, probably because we're not pushed to such high dose, so it's rare, but definitely, yeah, absolutely.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers, and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.